welcome to the Office 365 Developer Podcast, the only show focused on Office 365 development where Richard and I talk to the experts from all over the globe coding on the Office 365 Developer Platform. For more information on Office 365 development, please visit dev.office.com and follow us on the hashtag Office365Dev. Okay, welcome to episode 70 of the Office 365 Developer Show. Um, I'm here solo this week because Richard is actually in Dallas doing one of our Microsoft Cloud Roadshows. If you weren't around of our Cloud Roadshows, we've got about 12 running globally. They're free events you can sign up for and we have a developer track there. We've got people from the engineering teams and also from marketing and our DX field kind of presenting on topics uh, in person, which is a great way of learning about the developer platform. So please go and check out microsoftcloudroadshow.com if you're interested in those events. And we miss you, Rich, and I know you're gonna be in Seattle this week later on, but it's a shame to not get you on the 70th show. I've got some cool MVPs with me this week because I'm here for the MVP Summit. But before I just jump into that, just wanted to kind of talk about what's been happening this week. One of the big things that we've been looking at is the um, the Office 365 Developer Show. And so episode 17 and uh, 15 actually, one of them was on the getting started with Android Studio, which Richard did to kind of show Android developers how they can use the Office 365 APIs. And then uh, Sonia and Ina Arenas actually did a, a whole um, show basically on the Grace Hopper celebration, which is really about women in IT. And it was really fascinating to see um, the turnout for that event and what kinds of things people are doing in the industry to kind of increase the amount of women in, in IT. And I must admit, even this week at the MVP Summit, it's great to see a few more female faces in the audiences at these things from, say, compared to five, six years ago. It's a great, good to see that balance, but we are kind of lacking a bit on the developer side for sure. It seems to be more on that that, that business side. So if you're interested in that uh, women in IT thing, I'd really recommend watching that show with Sonia and Ina. Mark Rackley, who's very well known for kind of hacking away at JavaScript on SharePoint pages in Lion, kind of uploading it via SharePoint Designer in SharePoint Listen Libraries. He's actually started to kind of step over into the Office 365 Unified APIs, and in this instance, he was calling the Outlook Candor API using JavaScript in line with the page, kind of looking into client IDs and secrets, and um, it was really interesting to see how he did that approach based on all the stuff he's been blogging about for a long time in the SharePoint field of just kind of client-side development directly on the pages. So certainly worth checking it out if you're a SharePoint Online person and you want to take advantage, not just SharePoint, but other products as well. And then Vesa and the PNP team, they did a webcast call last week on the introduction of the PNP provisioning engine. So one of the most popular parts of PNP is site provisioning inside of um, SharePoint. So rather than doing create site pages and having to kind of activate by feature stapling like you traditionally did in Farm Solutions, how you kind of take over that site provisioning aspect in that way. And so that was a really cool thing. Um, and then lastly, there was a really good post, uh, which is on blogs.office.com about the new features of Office. And some of these new things include the integration now of Skype chat directly inside of Office Online and also voice integration too. So when you're working on collaborating on a call from a document, you can have real-time instant messaging going on via um, your Skype for Business and also have those calls happen as well. Um, and also there's some really nice ways now of editing documents that you most recently used via this really cool Chrome add-in. I'm a big Chrome user and I find it really useful now that I can just go and quickly launch in a browser window a Word document or Excel document I've recently edited directly in my browser. And I find that that can often be a little bit quicker than opening the Office client on Windows. So if you're using Chrome, that's a great little addition there. 
And then lastly, there's a bit of more information there on um, the Visual Basic editor for Mac, which was a huge amount of feedback there from the Mac community on giving VBA support within that Mac client. So there's some good updates this week. You can get to those updates via the show notes in your podcast app or by going to blogsofficecom and finding this podcast post and clicking on those links. Ironically, this is the first week where we probably haven't had a blog post from Elio or Waldeck. You're slacking, guys. Um, it, it's funny, like we have them on the show and it's the first week where we haven't actually plugged any of his posts. I know last week we actually mentioned three of your blog posts. Yeah, yeah. So um, Waldeck, give yourself a bit of an introduction. I know you've been on the show before, but for those who don't know you. Hi everyone, my name is Valdek Mastikas. I am Office Server and Servers and Services MVP since a few weeks, I guess. I have a blog, I'm on Twitter, and I guess it will be probably easier for everyone if you included these links in it's the show notes. Yeah, exactly. I love to hear my name every week over and over again. You just doing totally wrong. Ma- master cards. Yeah, Mastikash. Yes, it is, yes. So imagine just for the American audience that at just at the end there'll be an SH. Okay. They'll be easier, right? So I'm here, I'm I'll here. Still muck it up every week. Yeah, I know. It's 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 a blast to hear it over and over again. <laughs> so as you said, I'm here with uh, Elio. Hello, I'm Elio Straff, an uh, Office 365 consultant from Belgium. I'm also an Office server and services, quite a mouthful. And during my daily job, I do everything with search visualization and display templates. And I am Paul Schaeflein. Also a long-time SharePoint MVP now in the Office 365 area, and um, I don't blog quite as often as I should, so I'm just going to let Waldick do the blogging for all of us. So he does a much better job. So the reason these guys are here this week is every year we do this MVP summit. So these guys have been awarded either by self-nomination or through other people nominating, typically engineering or, in our case, PMG, Product Marketing Group, where we nominate people for their kind of their expertise, commitment to the community at public speaking events or blogging or open source contributions and each of these three do a really good job of blogging and all those kind of community commitments and speaking and so forth so it's great to have all of them in town and most of them do come too to share kind of with us their opinions on where things are going and to hear from engineers on on feedback and I thought it'd be interesting for people that aren't MVPs to kind of get a little bit of insight into uh, what they benefit from the MVP program on, on different dimensions because I don't think people will realize there is an absolute lot of benefits here and I was an MVP for five years before I joined Microsoft and you know I often have to explain to people you know what why there's value in um, MVPs and what they do for the community and what they get back from us at Microsoft as well so I'll start with Wardek like we, we cover your hotel room um, costs but you know, you guys come on your own back with flights and things. So there's a commitment, you're not at work, so you're not billable as a consultant. Mm-hmm. What, what benefit do you get of coming to an MVP summit for a week here in Redmond, apart from the beautiful sunny weather? <laughs> yeah, that's, a, that's the one thing that we definitely don't get here. So I've been MVPs for seven years now, and I still know the first time that I came here, and surprisingly, there were quite a few MVPs already who knew me, well, I thought that I was like, yeah, so I had a blog and I do a few things, but I didn't really know that there were that many folks who would pay attention to, to my work. So it was surprising for, for me that community is there and that it's basically a family, right? You get to know people, you help each other, and MVP or not, at the end of the day, it's, it's just the 
the, the really big group that is willing to help you, to help you out. Yeah. So that, that's one. And in terms of benefits, I would say that the social part, that's the most important part. Just to, you know, you're making friends. You're making friends over all, all these years. And there is also that small part related to your work where you have the chance to meet people who build the product that we work with every day. So that's impressive to hear things from them, like hear the challenges that they face and then challenges that, that we see in the field and to, to talk about those things face to face. So that's probably the biggest thing for me. Cool. What about yourself, Ilya? Yeah, for me, it's the first time, so it's oh, my first... Really? Yeah. Oh, really? How long have you been an MVP for, though? I'm only an MVP for since April, so it's my first oh, year oh. as an MVP. Oh, okay. So everything is new, that. so still <laughs> finding my way uh, on the, around the campus, and so it's quite nice. Yeah, learning new people, seeing in engineering, so it's quite, quite amazing how you work and seeing all these kind of MVPs all together. So still finding everything and, and yeah, it's quite awesome to be here. If you, the first time you be an MVP, you don't know what to expect if you're coming to an MVP yeah. summit, you don't know the campus, so. How would you describe the campus? Because I take it for granted. The campus is quite enormous. There are a lot of buildings and it's not what they, what you expect, it's, it's more like a village you're, you go into and there are roads, there are buses, there are cars. What I was thinking is was a campus where there was a gate and once you pass that gate, you're in Microsoft. But no, every, everyone can go in and once you're in, you can go out whenever you want, so... <laughs> <laughs> well... <laughs> Some buildings are off limits. Yeah. yeah, maybe it is. And how do you find from an MVP side, like being in your country and maybe there's not as, as big a, use, a user group, like what the experience there? The experience there of kind of being in a, a smaller country with a, a smaller reach than what, say, Paul might get from Chicago with the user groups. Do you find that there's an isolation that is unlocked now by being an MVP and having those networking that you wouldn't have got before as not an MVP, or do you think that's different? No, since I've been an MVP, I have the opportunity to speak at a lot more events. So I learned a lot more people over Europe. So that gives you some benefits as an MVP, but yeah, getting direct feedback from Microsoft is also a good benefit. You can also give feedback to the engineering part of Microsoft, so that's quite nice. And how about yourself, Paul? I, I love coming to MVP Summit. This is, although I've been an MVP for five years, this is only my third summit, but, um, and, and to echo Waldex, it is about the people, right? So in my case, obviously I don't, I don't blog or write as much as others, but I'm out speaking often, and, and when you're at a, a conference, you, you don't want to ignore attendees, so you're talking with them, answering questions, and, and the other MVPs who might be there prepping for their sessions or do whatever, but the unique thing here is we're all just attendees. There's very little prep work that we might have to do, except for a few exceptions. So it's nice to just sit down with 
with the, your your colleagues and like you know there's talks about SharePoint hybrid and well you know what I don't plug in servers and run all that so I really don't care but it's nice to know people who are in those they get the, the, the this community we have you can reach out and try to say hey I saw this wacky idea is this right or a little sanity check so to me it's more about uh, touching base without having the the stress of presenting and and meeting just the the, the colleagues that we have and and um, obviously seeing engineers is nice you know um, I, I've been at campus quite a bit uh, outside of the MVP program so for my personal experience it's not so big but I can certainly see I, I see they give up their time so I'm certainly appreciative of them giving up parts of their day or parts of their week to to meet with us and listen to the complaints and comments that we uh, <laughs> we like to have I mean it's all it's, every everyone wants to make the product better and so uh, they do a great job of of listening to us vent sometimes so I'm certainly appreciative of that and and so one of the funny things I had was um, the, the drinking games with, with soda, of course, that happen during some of the sessions where you've picked up on buzzwords that our engineering teams have. So for instance, I know this year there are a few new buzzwords that the engineering teams have picked up and I don't feel like I say any of these buzzwords at all. So it's definitely an engineering, not marketing focused thing. But what kind of buzzwords have you heard this week that you guys are um, taking a soda drink for during the sessions? So there have been quite a few over the years, but the one that's new this time around is Accru. Yeah, yeah I'm not, even, yeah. I'm not yeah. even sure why either. No idea. What, what other one? What have you noticed? Uh, experiences. Yeah, experiences, but that's a really old one. <laughs> I heard that it was from the year before. Okay, yeah. Well, well I don't drink all that much. <clears throat> so, uh, um, but yeah, it does get to be a little buzzword bingo. and. Um, and part of that is you're, uh, being in being in these sessions. Uh, everyone gets a little distracted sometimes, but it's all in good fun. And if you haven't worked out, we have escaped the MVP summit half hour early because uh, I needed to get a podcast done this week, and so we end up in Joey's, which is in Bellevue. And so <laughs> the MVPs listening to this will have a good laugh because pretty much Joey's is the place that everyone ends up at the end of every evening after the partner events or what have you, because it's close to the majority of the hotels, the Hyatt, the Westin. Etc. So, Elliot, I have to ask: Did you make the rookie mistake of not being in the Hyatt or the Western Hotel? Where are you staying? I'm in the Hyatt. Wow, he's a true pro right from the beginning. The uh, the mistake I made the first time I came here was going to the Red Lion, which is quite a way away from. Uh, well, it's definitely not walking distance from here. And so you end up being that poor guy that's walking in the wet home or having to call a cab to, to leave at the end of the evening. No, actually not. So the the best part is that I'm staying in Hilton and they have a van that you can just call up and they pick you up wherever you are in Bellevue. So no walking for me, buddy. <laughs> Waldex a trained professional as well, apparently. Experience. <laughs> we, we had a bet that some waitress would ask, come by and ask if we want another drink. So I figured we might just put our hands up and admit to the fact we're in Joey's. <laughs> and then the other aspects of the MVP Summit, other than kind of the campus and the, the networking side, it's something we started uh, the last MVP summit was uh, the Thursday sessions where rather than the engineers just kind of providing feedback and you guys asking questions, you get to provide some scenarios that you've been working on yourselves and then presenting those back to the teams to let them know. The, the big thing I was quite surprised about when I joined was how engineering teams sometimes don't actually understand how their product's being used. So you go in and you show them, like, for, as use an example, like how Mark Rackley uses SharePoint Designer and, mm -hmm. and JavaScript injection and so forth. And they're like, well, that, that's not how it's designed. And, you know, and so having Mark and other people present on 
these are the kind of typical scenarios that we, we, we're doing in the real world is a good way of me having the right people present back to them um, directly because a lot of the time it feels like I'm just hounding them all the time with feedback and having people talk to them directly in person is like, see, this guy does exist. I have not got this <laughs> fake blog out there that I'm yeah. making this stuff up on and pretending it's a real person. Laura Ipsum. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Waldeck, you're going to do one um, on Thursday as well, right? Yes. And, yes. and what are you going to be talking about? So, over the last few months, I had the chance to work quite a lot with the new APIs and I found that well, they are in beta, right? So they are st still not, not OGA, but even though it's not always obvious to work with them, so I'm going to share my experiences with how do you start or how developers uh, in a field start working with these APIs and what the struggles are that we have uh, in order to get them to work. So I hope that that will help and that eventually we will see that experience being way easier. So just, so imagine that you would just be able to get the APIs to work like immediately and you would be able to focus on your solution rather than getting the APIs to work. So I hope that I, I will be able to improve that experience. And, and what, what kind of issues do you see with that? I mean, we, we've talked about it a lot on the show, but what kind of things do you see are the pain points right now with the APIs? So there are a few things that make it a little more complex to start to work with, with them. So for example, the one thing is that if you go to MSDN where all of the references are, it says, for example, that an API is supposed to do that, while if you try to do exactly that with the API, you would get, get an error or you would have to use some other approach, right? So there is, the reference does not really re, uh, reflect the way the API works. Yeah. And then, so these APIs are embedded, right? They change a lot, but the SDK does not change along. So we see that even though APIs offer you new abilities, that's not, not really obvious from uh, the SDK. So I, I would think that these are the two major things that stand in our way to be really productive with the, these new APIs, which are really great though. Yeah, and you've been doing a great effort with the blog posts and the open source stuff you've been doing to kind of show how to use these APIs as we ship them in preview and alphas. And yes, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's so, cool. So I've been trying to share my experiences and whenever I find just to be able to help everyone to get on board and try these new APIs. Because, well, even though they are in beta, I, I imagine that, that the reason for that is, is for everyone else to, to give them a try and just share experiences that they have with other group, right? So that's why they're out. And if we cannot do it, then we fail, right? Yeah. And there's a lot of work engineering too, to look at the usage patterns of what the most popular endpoints are, what methods are being called, the chaining. So like if they call one method and they call another, maybe right. we need to have a, a batched way of doing that, or maybe there should be a method that kind of returns both those sets of data rather than making two calls. So exactly. the preview allows the engineers to really look at how that API is being used and what things yeah. are missing. And, and the ISVs and MVPs give a lot of feedback on well, we're missing this, or this isn't working right now, and, and so forth. So the, the, the preview things worked out very, very well for us. Um, Elio, from your perspective, with what you do around kind of search and CSR, we've been very pro-developer focused on the show, but maybe give a little bit of background around what that is and, and what it allows you to do within the user interface 
and how you deploy those things would be really cool. So I'm all into display templates. So display template is just an HTML file and JavaScript. So, and it got introduced in SharePoint 2013 to visualize your search results. Uh, in uh, 2007 and 2010 days, you had XSLT, which was quite horrible to, uh, to create and to maintain. And since 2013, yeah, display templates really did a great job because it was just HTML. A lot of people know HTML, so it's quite easy to just create the HTML file and you need to upload it in your master page gallery. Once it's uploaded, then a JavaScript file gets generated and that generated JavaScript file can be used in the content search web part or in the search result web part. So it's quite easy. There are some configuration parts about it, like uh, you need to maintain your uh, managed properties from search and so on. But it's quite easy, much more easier than it was in, in the early days of SharePoint. And so with that, like the, what are the common scenarios? Or what things do customers ask for? Is it like specific content types? They want a particular rendering look and feel in the result set? Like I, I imagine like Google and Bing, when you do searches, you search for a product, they have like shopping images and shopping links that specially show up or is formatted in a certain way? Like what kind of the common scenarios that customers ask of you? Most of the common things are like creating a new intranet and creating their homepage like carousels, uh, showing the trending documents around the site or showing the trending pages. But there are also other companies that ask like, we want to have a new, better search experience and we want to find our documents easier. And what we do there is creating a new refinement panel uh, with new refiners that people can easier use. Uh, for instance, uh, implementing icons instead of uh, the file types. So showing a word icon instead of word. It's more convenient to use that than, than just the word because people are overloaded with lots of text in a search center. So changing that to an icon is really amazing that what it can do for a person. And so Paul, like I know you said you'd, you'd not been doing SharePoint at the moment, but well, a topic that was interesting to me, and it's been something I've done for a long time, even when I was back in my Redify days in like 05, is around uh, Visual Studio, Team Foundation Server, and kind of continuous deployment, integration, application lifecycle management, whatever word you want to throw out there. What have you been working on recently? Yeah, so I always found that very interesting myself. So yeah, the uh, I just wrapped up a project in which a, a, a large, company was doing many different SharePoint add-ins and they needed to be able to deploy those into a, either production environments and, and some of the apps were being or add-ins were being developed by out, outsourced resources so obviously they didn't want to have client ID and client secrets you know passed around you know companies that people outside the company and so there's a, a definite need there in these large enterprises especially in a controlled environment where they want to make sure they understand how the deployments work and, and obviously DevOps is uh, the, the buzzword around that that a lot of people are trying to fit in so and so um, that was a fascinating task for me to work in using team foundation server, team build, if you will, and, and do some tasks that would update the client ID, client secrets as, as things got deployed. And, and there's a lot of opportunity there. Um, I've, done, I've done quite a bit of talks on identity and having client secrets in web.config unencrypted is not necessarily a best practice. So there's a lot of opportunity there, a lot of things you can do. And with a little bit of the tooling that comes with Visual Studio or Visual Studio Online, and even in these new JavaScript environments with the, the task runners and so on, it's, uh, you can put a lot of process around 
um, around how to these deployment mechanisms. And I always tell developers, hey, if, if something goes wrong on Friday at five o'clock, do you want to be the guy who gets called? Or would you rather it just be a one-line script that gets run automatically and you can test it on Thursday and fix it instead of having to spend your weekend on it? So that's uh, the, most of what I've worked on recently. And, and now I'm still starting to play around with the preview of the Visual Studio Online's release management, which kind of takes that to the next level and kind of separates a little bit of the um, the configuration per environment is then taken out of the build process, if you can imagine, right? So if I build my code, I should be able to just read a variable and say what environment am I in and so on. So it's kind of, it kind of abstracts that away a little bit and lets me do the control of the deployment of assets to a specific environment independent of my build process. So it's really, it's really pretty nice stuff. There's some good stuff coming out there. Uh, like I said, that's in preview now, so I expect we'll be seeing that uh, um, before too long. So uh, that's a really fascinating topic to me. I think everyone would benefit. And is, is that a follow-on? I was using deployment slots to do some stuff at the Angular Connect conference a few weeks ago where we had a GitHub repo with a, it was actually a Word add-in that I was building. And every time I committed code to the GitHub repo and pushed it, Visual Studio Online would, or sorry, in this case, it was Azure directly via a deployment slot would pick up that change and automatically that deployment to the Azure website. So is the release management stuff kind of additive to that or is it totally separate in terms of that automation? Uh, it, it's additive to that. In that context, you, in, in release management, you have this concept of an environment. So the two different deployment slots would be two different environments, right. if you will, right? And so, um, again, it's more akin to a task runner. So I can, I can simply say, I want to run this release task or, or sequence of tasks based on a trigger, like you would expect, I check in code. If the build is successful, I want to run the release scripts, if you will. And so it, it's a, it's, it, it can do some of those same concepts, if you will, but obviously they have... They've, they've grand plans to do all the common release things like web deploy or Azure websites or VMs and so on. And obviously PowerShell can be integrated so you can do whatever you want. So it's, it's very similar, but think of it the next level where I can, and, and then there's a rudimentary workflow as well. So I can say, run this deployment script to an environment, which may be your testing slot, and then pause and wait for someone to come back and click the approve button before you deploy to production. So you can put a little bit, it's not a full-fledged workflow, but it does have rudimentary email-based uh, notifications for, for controlling some of that. Well, that could definitely be good for anyone who's doing like kind of provide hosted at SharePoint add-ins and Office Web add-ins as well, right? Absolutely, I would love for it to be the full feature. That may be a question for, for the engineers when I'm here this right. week about the deployment story for, for SharePoint customizations. Obviously that deployment is not always easy, but absolutely, anytime you're writing code and to push it somewhere is certainly a candidate for that. And uh, um, if you have used anything in the Visual Studio environment, it'll be natural enough for you. And they have great wizards, and and um, it, it, it certainly can help, absolutely. Well, yeah, I know like uh, yourself, uh, Chris O'Brien's another guy that does a lot of ALM. Who else is in the input community that does that? I've seen a bunch of these guys. A lot of them, um, I didn't say the Azure MVP thing, uh, the guy I talked to was just Eric Boyd, who's another MVP totally outside of SharePoint, right? Yeah. So you yeah, wouldn't know him so much. But um, th there are more and more of them, and there are a couple of consulting firms that specialize on that. Uh, I, I don't see too much of them. It, it's There are very few customers, if you will, who are going to hire consultants to improve the dev operations, because if you only have five or six devs, yeah. you probably aren't going to put a lot of automation around it. Yeah. But yeah, so the, there, there is a, a somewhat decent-sized community in the Visual Studio tooling area, and that's why I lean on for help. Again, that's part of that MVP thing we are talking about before. The community see these guys and say, hey, I ran into this problem or that problem, or what, what's the state of the state? And they can certainly chime in, so... Cool. Well, I think we'll probably deep dive into each of these things in other episodes, wherever I get time this week with you guys or whether it's Skype calls. But um, I appreciate you guys carving out some time to chat to me and um, 
naturally I'll shout this round of drinks. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I really appreciate, and, I, and on behalf of all the engineering teams and stuff, thank you for coming this week. It's, it's uh, extremely valuable to have face-to-face -face time where the engineers get to meet you guys in person and, and see like, oh, this guy's the one who's always blogging about CSR or the APIs. And actually, I think for you guys, the, the value is, is that that face time means that they'll remember you a bit more and know to reach out in the future. So uh, I do see a lot of value in my role that you guys are here this week and, and providing that feedback. So enjoy. And um, thank you. Take cheers. it easy tonight. Yeah, <laughs> yeah cheers yeah, to cheers. that one. And um, with the water glasses for sure. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll have Rich back on the show next week. I'm going to try and try and definitely get Chris O'Brien this week before he leaves to talk a little bit more about what he's been doing in Office 365 because he's been working on some huge projects. And I just really want to carve some time out with him because I can't believe we still had him on the show and it's episode 70 already. And you do mention him his blog posts all the time. He's yeah, certainly right. someone you should get in here. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah that's kind of the, the way we kind of decide who's next on the show is like how many how many times say blogging so we can actually dig in deeper in the podcast and what they've been blogging about so um, sorry <laughs> <laughs> hint hint paul write some blog posts yeah. <laughs> that's a good idea <laughs> that's great feedback yeah. <laughs> all right well i hope you enjoyed the show i will recommend one show this week um uh, cj the uh the absent trader who left microsoft uh, a few <laughs> months ago now and left me with me and sonia and jim without a manager he does the microsoft cloud show with Andrew Connor, who's been on the show a few times as well. And the the episode 100, they actually had both of their wives get on the show and, and it was actually a crack of a show. I'm tempted to uh, get my girlfriend and uh, Rich's wife on the episode as well uh, when we get to 100, because I think it was pretty funny <laughs> just to kind of hear them talk about the cloud and oh, yeah. what they thought Amazon the was and yeah. Yeah, the APIs <laughs> and stuff. So um, if, you, if you don't listen to that show, it's a good one just to kind of have a bit of a giggle on as well, because it just shows you that a lot of our partners have zero clue what we do on a day-to-day -day basis. And he talks about their groupies at conferences and things. It's actually really funny. It's a good insight into the world that we live in, I guess. And sometimes it's a good eye-opener into the fact that not everyone understands what we do when we go to a conference or work full-time in, in, on campus here. So enjoy the rest of your week, and uh, we'll see you next week for episode 71. Thank you. Thanks for listening, guys and girls. Make sure you check out dev.office.com for all of our other podcasts and all of our amazing resources. You can also check here for more information on our developer program where you can get a one-year, three developer tenant stop building against the Office 365 platform. We're always here to chat with you on the Office 365 technical network on aka.ms slash office365devpodcastyam. Or you can follow us on Office Dev on both Twitter and Facebook. So until next week, guys, get coding. Get coding.